I have a confession to make, and that confession is that uh, I'm a recovering news junkie. Now, I'm not making light of those who have addictions because, quite frankly, as I look back over the last few years, I was a guy who was really fixated on the news. I'd get up in the morning, and the first thing I'd do is turn on the news stations. And when I got home in the evening, first thing I'd do is turn on the news stations. And all during the day, I'd be checking in as to what the latest news stories were. And this is what I discovered because of this habit that I'd gotten myself into, this fixation that I had. And that was that I was very often in a bad mood, had a very negative view of life, and got far too easily angered. And so I made a decision that I needed to, to, to cut that off. Now, it's not that I don't keep up the news. I, I do want to know what's going on. That certainly helps me as I pray. It helps me as I function. But rather than being fixated on the news, 24-hour news cycle, rather than that, I, I try to focus on those things that are important, take them in smaller chunks, and most importantly, spend more time with the good news. Now, when I say good news, I'm not just talking about the good things that we hear that people do for other people. That's encouraging as well. Some of you are old enough to remember when, uh, when you had a subscription to True, uh, what True Grit, Grit. Was it Grit or True Grit? What was that? Grit. And it was a little uh, a tabloid-type magazine, but it had all good stories in it. Some of you get Reader's Digest for the very same reason. But I wanted to focus primarily on the good news that God has for us. Because when I open God's Word, and many of you have done this during the course of this year, you have taken the challenge, taken the commitment to read through God's Word on a daily basis. And for some of you, it'll be the first time when you get to the end of December that you will have read through the entire Bible. And if you've done that or you're on your way to do that, congratulations. Some of you have done it multiple years. That's just a routine. That's something you do all the time. I want to encourage you need this kind of good news to counterbalance what you're going to get in the world because all you're going to find in the world, I'm afraid, well, mostly is bad news. Every day is more bad news and more bad news and more bad news. But there is good news. And that's what we want to talk about today as we wrap up this Thrill of Hope uh, message series. We want to focus on good news Now, in Luke chapter 2, you can flip there if you want to. We're going to look in there in a few moments. But in Luke chapter 2, we are going to, what we find here is that Mary and Joseph were forced to go to Bethlehem. Now, if you'll remember, Mary was pregnant and she was pretty far along. And so this would not have been an easy journey for them. But they didn't have a choice because Rome's emperor had decreed that a census be taken of all the people. And therefore, each man was to go to his ancestor's home. And so since Joseph was of the lineage of David, Joseph went to Bethlehem, the city of David, in order to be counted for the purpose of taxes. That's why he wanted to count, because of taxes. And so... They make this trip. And when they get there, what they've discovered is that there are a lot of people who've gotten there ahead of them. Because you see, it wasn't just the two of them having to travel. Everybody had to go 
to the home of their ancestors. And so there were lots and lots and lots of people in Bethlehem. Now, they didn't have the internet and they didn't have telephone service. They couldn't call ahead. They couldn't book a room online. There was no hotels.com, no Priceline. There was none of that. They just had to find something when they got there. But if you remember the Christmas story, there was no room in the inn. Now, I don't know how many inns there were. Bethlehem was not a huge, bustling city. It was a town. And so there may have been but one inn. And you might imagine that other people would have their homes filled with relatives who came from all over. And so Joseph and Mary shows up. She's very far along in her pregnancy. There's no place for them to stay. And so they end up in a stable. Now, when you see it in your manger scenes, uh, you, you see the kind of the A-frame roof wood could have had some of that on it. Most likely it was more like a cave, something that was carved out of a, a rocky outcropping. And that's where the animals would go to, to kind of get out of the weather. This would not be what would be expected for the Son of God. Perhaps a palace. Maybe even a room in the temple. But certainly not stable. Certainly not being laid in a manger, a feeding trough. And all this took place in relative obscurity. Of course, the whoever, the innkeeper, whoever it was that, that got them the place in the stable, they, they would have known that a birth was coming on. But other than that, The rest of Bethlehem was blissfully ignorant of what was taking place that night. But there were some who knew. And this morning, we want to focus on a portion of Scripture that talks about a few guys who heard the message, who knew exactly what was taking place in that stable in Bethlehem. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to Luke chapter 2. If you'll leave them open because we're going to be looking through this portion of Scripture. If you didn't bring your Bible or just uh, are having trouble finding Luke chapter 2, we have printed uh, in the handout for you all the text with some lines there in case you'd like to take notes. Luke chapter 2, we're going to look at verses 8 through 20. We're going to break them up a little bit this morning and kind of take them in chunks rather than all at once. Luke chapter 2, we'll begin reading with verse 8, and this is what we find there. And there were shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And so we, in, in Luke's gospel, we jump from the birth of Jesus. Here he was laying in a, in a manger in Bethlehem, we jump from there out to nearby fields where shepherds are keeping watch over their flocks in the nighttime. Now, when we read about shepherds, shepherds were a vital part of the Jewish culture. They're very, very important to have shepherds. In fact, if we look back through the Old Testament, we discover some things like King David. King David was a shepherd, and God called him to be the king. David wrote the 23rd Psalm, which begins with the words, what? The Lord is my shepherd. 
And so shepherding was, was very important. It was ingrained in their culture. The religious leaders were called the shepherds of Israel. But even though this was so ingrained in their culture, in their mindset, in their faith, the shepherds themselves, in many ways, were outcasts. They didn't belong. A Hebrew commentary on the scriptures called the Midrash wrote this about shepherds. There is no more disreputable occupation than that of a shepherd. And you would think that shepherds would be held in high regard, especially these shepherds, because they are very near Bethlehem, just really is on the outskirts of Jerusalem, just a few miles away. They may even have been raising the sheep that would go to the temple in order to be sacrifices. You would think the shepherds would be held in high regard, but that wasn't the case. In fact, what we learn about the shepherds is that it was a job without glory, a job without gratitude. There were cold nights and hot days and torrential downpours and times of drought, and they had to move the sheep from place to place to place in order to find green, green, green grass and fresh water. And though the shepherds were called upon to keep the flocks, maybe even for the temple, They were considered unclean, ceremonially unclean. Not that they just didn't wash their hands. They couldn't go to the temple. Not without going through an elaborate ritual of cleansing. They couldn't go to the temple. Because they handled sheep, because they were around sheep dung all the time, because the potential of being around dead animals, they were considered unclean. And therefore, were not permitted to go into the temple. They were unable to testify in a court of law. That's how disreputable shepherds were. And yet, what happens? We got shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And then in verse nine, an angel of the Lord appeared to them, to the outcast, to the unclean, appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. Now, you, you can imagine they would be. Here they are doing what they normally do. They're out in the fields, keep watch, just going to be bored, 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 and more bored. I mean, unless there's a wild animal who attacks or thieves who come up, their night is just boring. It's just kind of keeping, keeping their eye on the sheep. Playing cards, well, they probably didn't play cards, maybe rolling dice, something, something to, to occupy the time, but just boring nights. And into their boring, humdrum night, an angel of the Lord appears. Now, when we think about an angel, we think of a little chubby-cheeked cherub, maybe with a harp. But that's not what this angel is like. This angel shows up and turns night into day. This angel shows up and the glory of God is shining from him and shining all right. It just envelops the shepherds and their night has been completely turned upside down. And the Bible says they were terrified. Their knees were knocking. And you can imagine I'd be the same way. 
you're going through your normal routine, something like this happens, and you got to be thinking, this is the end of the world. I've had it. They say, and I, I've never been there, that if you ever get one of those close-to-death experiences that your life flashes in front of your eyes, I can imagine for the shepherds, all their sins passed in front of their eyes. They realized they were unclean and outcasts and unworthy in so many ways, disrespected in so many ways. And so maybe, maybe God was just showing up to wipe them off the map. But that's not what happened in verse 10. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. Just a little sidelight here. If you want to do something to help you understand Scripture a little better, just look up that phrase, do not be afraid or fear not, depending on the translation. Just look that phrase up and see how many times it occurs in the Bible and how many times God tells us not to be afraid. That's a wonderful little study. But he shows up and the angel says to them, do not be afraid. Why? Because I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. I bring you good news. That is the same word as gospel. Good news. I bring you good news. I'm not here to tell you that you're about to be wiped off the face of the earth. I'm not here to stand in judgment over you so that you should be fearful. I'm here for the express purpose to bring you good news that won't bring fear, but will bring great joy. Not just a little joy, but great joy. And that joy is going to be for all the people. That includes you guys. I'm showing up to tell you, the unclean, the outcast, I'm here today to tell you good news that's going to bring joy to your heart. And it's for you, and it's not just for you. It's for everybody. This good news is great joy for everybody. Because today, he says, today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Christ, the Lord. Now that's important too. Focus on that. Who is this one who I'm here to tell you about? He's Savior. A savior is someone who saves you. When you are in trouble, you need a savior. When you are without hope, you need a savior. Jesus' name means God saves. Did you know that? I'm here to tell you, the angel said, about a savior who's been born to you. He is Christ. He's the Messiah, the anointed one. He's the one who was promised. And more than that, he's Savior, he's Messiah, he's Lord. Now, in the Greek, Lord could simply mean sir or mister. But when you look at it in the context, and, and you'll see it a little bit later in these verses that we're reading, when you look at it in the context, it's bigger than just mister. It's bigger than just sir, because God is the Lord. Think about this. He is Savior. He is Messiah. He is the Lord. That is, he is God. This Savior who's been born to you, this Messiah, he's not just a guy like King David. He's not like, just a guy like the prophet Moses. 
He is the Lord who has been born to you. And this is going to be a sign to you, they said. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Now, we're going to talk about this sign here in just a minute. So, so let's, uh, we're, we're, let's move on to verse 13 and we'll, we'll come back to the sign. Verse 13, suddenly a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel. And so the angel gets company. And what kind of company does he get? It says a, a, a great company. Uh, that great doesn't mean that they were really super guys. Great means it was massive. It was a multitude. And so whereas one angel was there, now there are angels all around. And in fact, it says heavenly host. A host is an army. And so the army of God has shown up declaring peace. That's so cool. God sent his army to come and bring this good news of peace to these shepherds. And so a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. An army shows up declaring peace. What kind of peace was this? Because quite frankly, if it was a promise of peace the way we think of peace, then that promise is out the window. Where's the peace? There are bombs going off. There are terrorists blowing things up. There are people shooting each other. There's hatred. There's animosity. There's division. Where is the peace? Well, there is a day when that peace is coming. But there's a peace right now. Because the peace that Jesus brought was peace between God and man. The scriptures say that apart from Christ, we are enemies of God. Now, you don't think of yourself as an enemy of God. Oh, God, God, he's okay. He's the big man upstairs. You don't think of yourself as enemies of God, but if you're not in Christ, then you're an enemy of God. And what Jesus did was to come to bring peace between a holy God and sinful man. And he showed up to the shepherds because they were considered among the lowliest. To bring peace reconciliation, to repair the broken relationship, to bring together what was separate, to bring peace. This is the angel's declaration. Peace, not just to everybody, but peace to those on whom God's favor rests. That's important for us to know because... If you're counting on everybody getting into heaven in order for you to get in, then you need to know that belief is absolutely contrary to what Scripture teaches. If that's what you're counting on, then God's just got to let you in because He's going to let everybody in. I just want to let you know that teaching is erroneous. It's an error. Peace, that peace comes to those on whom God's favor rests those of us who are chosen in Christ. In verse 15, 
And when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem. And let's see this thing that's happened, which the Lord has told us about. And so they hurried off, and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in a manger. So the angels were there, and then the angels were not. And the shepherds looked around, and they said, Wow, that was cool. Let's take a nap. That's not what they said. It's not what they said at all. When, they, when the angels left, they looked at each other and said, Did you hear what they just said? we got to go see this. Now, this is really important. Because you and I would have got so focused on the angels, we'd have forgotten the message. But they didn't. It was the message about a Savior that was exciting to them. And so they looked at each other and said, we've got to go check this out. And so they went, and what did they find? They found Joseph, they found Mary, and they found a baby lying in a manger. Now this, I told you, I talked to you about the sign. It, it said you find a baby wrapped in strips of cloth. This was normal. Okay, it didn't, that wasn't something unusual. There would usually be a, they, they would basically bundle the baby up. I don't know if you did this. Uh, we, we did this because, you know, a baby is so used to that confined space in the womb that when the baby's born, bundling them up, kind of getting their arms together and, and they're just kind of bundled, it's a comforting feeling for the baby. And so for a child to be wrapped in strips of cloth was, was not a big deal, but for a child to be found in a manger, that's a big deal. That was a sign to the lowliest of the low, the shepherds. God revealed His Son, our Savior, in the humblest of circumstances. We overlook this in the Christmas story. We miss the impact of this. This is huge. This is God showing up, not only in the flesh, not only just as one of us, but this is God showing up, not in a palace and not in a temple, but God showing up in a barn. Being wrapped up like a regular baby and put in a manger. And when the shepherds showed up, guess what? They weren't disappointed. Why? Because this is exactly what the angels have told them. You and I, we go see something spectacular and it looks mundane. To them, this would be, this would be what the poor people would have to do. What made it special was that the angels come and said, Listen, this is the sign that the Savior, the Messiah, the Lord has been born to you. And so they went off and they found that. And then in verse 17, it says, When they'd seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured all these things up and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned glorifying God and praising God 
for all the things that they'd heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Two responses here. One of Mary. Mary, who had had the angel come and say, hey, listen, you're going to give birth to God's son. Even though you've never been with a man, you've never had a sexual relationship, you are pregnant, and it's God's child. It's a miraculous conception. You're going to give birth to the son of God. Okay, Mary knew this. She heard what Joseph said when Joseph had the dream. Because he determined, oh my goodness, my fiance is now pregnant. I know I'm not the daddy. This story she's telling me is really far-fetched. I don't know if I can believe it. God sends an angel in her dream to speak to Joseph to say, yes, she's telling you the truth. This is God's son, and you get to be his earthly daddy. And so they already have all this this circumstances here going on, tying together. And, and now here come these shepherds. You have to be wondering. Now this, this baby comes out and he, he doesn't look different from any other baby. And it's not like he's glowing. I mean, when we see the paintings, right, he's got this big halo on. Okay. I, I, can, I wasn't there, but I can almost guarantee you that wasn't the case. He was born like a regular baby. He looked like a regular baby. There was nothing to distinguish him. This thing about Jesus not crying. I'm thinking, yeah, he was. He's a baby. And so here he is, normal. Okay, maybe we misunderstood. Maybe, maybe we didn't understand. This looks normal. And then the angels show up. I mean, the shepherds show up. And they go, hey, listen. We just had this encounter. You might not believe this, but we were just kind of minding our own business. And Fred over here tapped me on the shoulder, and he said, look up there. And the lights came on, and an angel came, and they said that this baby that you're holding, he's the Savior. He's the Messiah. He's God. And it says that Mary, she tucked that away in the treasure box of her heart. Because she was going to need it later. We also see the response of the shepherds, and it's twofold. First of all, they spread the word. When they've seen this, they didn't keep it to themselves. They spread the word about this child. And then it says in the last verse here, verse 20, that they returned, they left that place glorifying and praising God for all the things that they'd seen, which were just as they had been told. The Christmas story is good news. But it's only good news for those who've embraced God's Son as Savior. And if you have, then I want to encourage you to look at both Mary and Joseph for the proper response to the coming of Jesus. First of all, it's a treasure to be hidden in your heart. To be able to pull that treasure out and to remember what God has done for you by sending His Son, it's a treasure to tuck away and to pull out and marvel at whenever you feel worthless, whenever you feel hopeless, 
whenever you are just, the whole world just seems like it's collapsing on top of you, to be able to pull that treasure out and say, this is what God did for me. I cannot be worthless. There is hope. And I am more than a conqueror through him who loved me. What about the shepherd's reaction? The shepherds told everybody they could find. The shepherds didn't hold back. The shepherds, they shared it broadly. They told everybody, hey, listen, we have this angel encounter, but more important than that, we have seen the Messiah. We've seen the Savior. You and I. If, if we have faith in Christ, if Jesus is our Savior, if we've had a personal encounter with the God of the universe, how can we keep that quiet? How can we not share it with boldness with everyone we know and even with people we don't know? And the second response of the shepherds were to glorify and praise God. They didn't have a ho-hum you know, yawning experience about this. This changed their lives. And it gave them that good joy, that great joy because of peace. That's what they were celebrating. And folks, that's what we celebrate at Christmas. You might be excited about the gifts that you've got for somebody else. You might be excited about the gifts that are going to be given to you. You may be excited about a family gathering. You may be excited about traveling to see grandma or traveling to see grandchildren. You may be excited about all that, but I'm here to tell you the best news is the great joy that we have through peace with God through Jesus Christ. And the question I want to ask you this morning is, do you know that? If you know it, share it and celebrate it and treasure it. If you don't know it, God is a gift for you this Christmas. And that gift is his son. You go, well, what, what do I do with this? How do I, how do I respond to this? It's, it's really simple. It's not rocket science. God has done everything necessary for you to be saved. Everything. You simply need to turn away from self and sin and turn to God and receive what he has for you. Think about this. Christmas is coming around. Okay, when you give a gift... When you give someone a gift, is their first response, hey, what do I owe you for that? I hope not, because if so, you have a very dysfunctional family. No. Your response is, when someone gives you a gift, is to receive that gift, to make it yours, and to be grateful that you've received it. And if it's a great gift, then you start sharing it with other people. You want other people to know I saw uh, one of my high school friends had gotten a new car from her husband for Christmas. And guess, she posted it on Facebook. Nice, beautiful picture on Facebook because she wanted, it was a great gift and she wanted everybody to know. If you need to receive God's gift this morning, it's available for you. And when we sing our final song this morning, I want to invite you to come and to receive it, to embrace it, to make it yours. To be grateful to God for it. And to share with others the great thing that God has done for you.